0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. It wasn't too long ago, 2016, I sat in a restaurant across the table from a middle aged man and he says, There's no hope. There's no hope. God will not forgive me for the things that I have done. Just a couple. Days before he had sat in this auditorium, this was the first time I met him, I invited him out to coffee to hear his story. He was a veteran. Oh, he was hopeless. I could hear it in his voice, I could see it in his eyes. I told him of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for him, the power of God, the bigness of God to forgive any sin, and to give him deliverance from his despair. My, my words seemed to fall on deaf ears, though I, I knew he was listening. It was such a hopelessness. It wasn't, wasn't too long later I received a, received a call. I ended up going to a street here in Kettering where a house was on fire. I wished it wasn't so, but I remember visiting that house, trying to reach back out to him. That night, he chose to take his life. I'll never forget the hopelessness I saw in his eyes. It still strikes me to this day because he sat in this auditorium. I'm not pinning that on him. I'm just, just saying that's reality. Recent survey came out and said that in the United States, according to USA Today, suicide is the highest it's ever been in 80 years. That goes back to World War II. What causes a person to take their life? Is it just people outside of church? No. Hopelessness spans all, all boundaries, all economic lines, social lines. It spans it all. And I just pull that statistic as a reality of the fact that we live in a hopeless society. The World War II vets have, are fastly passing off the scenes. And here we are again in the midst of a society. We don't, we don't know what's coming next. There's uncertainty. And it strikes me very much that the same, nearly the same levels of suicide are happening today as then. Hopelessness. Paul lived in a time, the Apostle Paul, most of you know him, he lived in a time where you could go out to the the graveyards and you could read the epitaphs on on the different gravestones. One of the common ones in his day was this, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Such a hopelessness. I've met people that have come to the end of their lives, they've lived a full life, they've had what they needed, their needs were met, but they, they had no hope that they knew their purpose for living. Just realize that even folks that seem like they have it all together, they have a nice house, nice car, they seem like they have the money for the bills, even hopelessness can get into their hearts through the various ways. Paul also said something when he opened up a letter a letter he wrote to his son in the faith. Timothy. Paul picked up Timothy, a little bit like Joey. Paul picked up Timothy on his way through Lystra, and the church there had noted in Timothy's life, a young man, teenager, they had noted in his life that he really had a zest for God, a a zeal for God. And so they said, Paul, you, you need to notice this young man, this young man, could travel with you, and so Paul says, invites him, Timothy, from a broken home. His dad was not a believer. His mother and grandmother raised him, and Paul invited Timothy as a teenager, not too much older than you kids. It'll go by really, really quick. You just can't wait till you get to 10, right? Can't wait till you get to 12, but it goes really quick. Before you know it, you're 40. 40. paul invited timothy to come along on a missionary journey and little by little paul put responsibility on him and ended up turning over a church he became a pastor of the church in ephesus and when he was pastoring there paul's on go- oh, timothy was going through different struggles and paul wrote this to timothy i want you to catch this it's very very important first timothy 1 and verse number one paul an apostle a sent one of jesus christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Let's say that together. Which is our hope. Paul lived in a hopeless day. People died. They put on their tombstones, their hopelessness. Paul lived in a hopeless day and he tells Timothy, they're in Ephesus, a city that has a lot of abundance, a city that houses the, the, one of the seven wonders of the world in the temple of Diana." This this place that's amazing. Timothy, in the midst of that, you need to be reminded yourself as a preacher that Jesus Christ is our hope, and you need to remind those that are listening that Jesus Christ is our hope. We've come to remind you this morning that Jesus Christ is our hope. You might be putting your hope in having your life all set. Do you know in in an email, in a text, in a phone call... Your life can become very unset. One doctor's appointment, one doctor's appointment, we think, boy, we got it. I got life by the tail. It just takes a moment of time. The Bible tells us that life is a vapor. It's a vapor. It peers appears for a moment, and it passes away. The Bible says, boast not yourself of tomorrow, you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. And you know, I find even Christians sometimes, we act like we have 30 years. And you know what? We may not. I may not be standing on this platform next Sunday. I may be doing one of your funerals this week. I don't know. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just, I'm just I know it's more of a thought, right? But, but the reality is we act like life is just a given we plan. James says we we plan and we do all these plans. And friends, if your hope is not anchored in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no hope of where you're going to spend eternity after you die. Now, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is an amazing thing. We've talked all morning about this. I mean, he literally, he came. What a a blessed thing. I would have loved to be a, a, you know, a little lamb, a little mouse in the corner in that, in that that stall where Jesus was born, in that concrete manger where he was laid. I would have loved to have seen all of that and and, and see the baby Jesus, God in the flesh. I would have loved to have seen that. Do you realize it signifies and it announces and proclaims, declares the hope that God is to the world by, by sending his son? And here's what I want us to realize this morning. I want us to realize that Jesus offers us hope because Jesus. Came and was made like us. He was made like us. Now we all have flesh this morning. We all have aches. How many of you have some aches this morning? Some arthritis that's bothering you with the rain. How many of you have a doctor's appointment to look forward to this year? On um, this week, okay? Some of you. All right. Some of you are struggling through diseases and different things. We all have flesh, but you realize Jesus came as God and was made like us. I want to uh, turn our attention back to John, John chapter number one. It's in your notes if you want to follow along there. John chapter number one. The Bible says this in John 1 and verse number 14. One of my, one of my many favorite maybe verses in the Bible, uh, especially about Christ. John 1, 14. It says this, and the word was made flesh. And the word was made flesh. If you jump back up to John chapter one and verse number one, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John says, we, we, went on, we went on to behold him and see him, and we witnessed him. And he's speaking specifically of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did not become God when he came to earth. He always has been God in eternity past. It was God that took on human flesh. And we need to understand that. He was made like us. I love what the songwriter says. In fact, it was William Booth who was a founder of the Salvation Army that started and had a vibrant christian um, beginning william booth uh, wrote the 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 words down from his glory ever-living story my god and savior came and jesus was his name born in a manger to his own a stranger a man of sorrows tears and agony and he burst forth in the chorus oh how I love him, how I adore him. Why? He was made like us. He was made like us. He knew our frame and yet he, he stepped into a, a human body for us. The Bible states it like this in Philippians 2 and verse number 6. Who being in the form of God, notice that, who being in the form of God, the essence of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Those who preach and religions that preach that he became God, this verse proves he absolutely was God. He being in the form of God, the very essence of God. The verse goes on. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the, catch this, the form, the form of a servant, the essence of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Flesh. It's pretty amazing. That's condescension. Being made a man wasn't a step up. He's God. He was a step down. He was made like us. We say the word, the incarnation. That's God taking on human flesh. We believe that very strongly. That he is fully God and fully man. And yet it says he took on the form of a servant, of a slave. What did he come to offer us? We've been talking on Sunday mornings about the servants of Christmas. Jesus is the greatest servant. He came to serve us with hope. He came to serve us by giving his life. He served his disciples while he's on earth. But the ultimate service was at the cross. When he died for you and for me. Galatians 4 and verse number 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come but when the fullness of time, when when it was the exact right time. You know, kids, have you ever been waiting for something your parents promised you to go to the the ice cream store or get lunch? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that, that exact right time. Well, God said at the exact right time, just as he had promised, he sent his son into the world as a little baby. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, catch it, to redeem them to redeem them, to buy them back that were under the curse of the law. The exact right time God came. And he was made like us in that way. All men, all men, all men and women are under the curse of sin and Jesus came to redeem you from the curse of sin. Now you may not, you may not admit that you're under the curse of sin. We can all walk outside and say, hey, sky's blue and someone can say it's green. The reality is God's truth is not is not changed because of your unbelief. That's right. You're under the curse of the law. The very groaning in your body, the very fact that you have a death date coming, indicates you are under the curse of the law, and something must be done about that. Something. So Jesus came and was made like us. Paul goes on to tell Timothy this. Remember he's talking to his 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 young man, this this young preacher boy in the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all uh, acceptation. Everyone ought to just receive it. Everyone ought to believe this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul did not say, to save you sinners. He said, to save sinners of whom I am chief. Every single one of us ought to echo what Paul just said. Of whom I am chief. Now, you don't want to know my, my, my sin. I don't want to know your sin. But the reality is, you and I are all sinners before a holy God. Compared to him, we're all sinners. Every one of us. And Paul, who did an amazing amount of work for the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, says, of whom I am, I'm chief. And he came to be made like us. But I want you to notice, secondly, in John 1, 14, came to live among us. Among us now, you've all met maybe a person that you know. You knew them, but they didn't really want to be out with you in public. You ever ever had someone that you know kind of distanced themselves from you? Maybe kids. Maybe at school, you have you have a friend because he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to uh, be ostracized or you know uh, you know disappoint some of his other friends. He doesn't hang out with you, and so it kind of makes you feel bad. But the Bible says that Jesus, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Let's say that together, and dwelt among us. One more time, and dwelt among us. Do you know what the word dwelt means? It's the idea of pitching a tent. To take up residency. Man. You think about, you think God created us in, in perfection. Man sins against the holy God. Man is separated from God. We're the offenders. He's the one that's been offended. And yet he comes down, takes on a body like ours, and then dwells with us, actually walks with us, lives with us. I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's astounding that, that he would actually come and sit with us. I remember reading about Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old, in the Old Testament. And there's one part where God is, he has sent his children, the children of Israel, off into captivity in Babylon because of their sin and their rejection and their rebellion against God. And there's a point where where God comes to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I want you to go over to Babylon and I want you to sit down with them and I want you to be with them in their captivity, the captivity that was brought on by their sin. Ezekiel's like, I'm not sure, sir, I want to do that, God. Have you ever argued with God? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. So Ezekiel's having a little spat, and God says he took him by the Spirit and brings him over to the um, the banks of the river Jabbar and sets him down. And Ezekiel says, I was hot in my spirit. But once he submitted to the Lord, he said he, he sat down with them in their captivity. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. He didn't just tell Ezekiel to do it. He came down from heaven and sat with us in our captivity. Every single person that's born into this world is in bondage to their sin. Now, it doesn't evidence itself right away, but the reality is the seed of our sin, that, that sin nature is there. It doesn't take very long to start watching a, a little one begin to learn to lie and to be unkind. You don't have to teach them to do that. It just, it just bubbles out from in, inside. Why? Because they have a sin nature. God came down to sit with us to dwell with us. What an amazing thought. And John goes on to say that he didn't just dwell among them, they were able to see him. He wasn't like some big hot shots in the world. Today you can't get to them um, through, a, through a secretary, through phone calls, setting up appointments. They, they, they get whisked away in their private jets and so on. He wasn't some big hotshot like that. He walked the streets with them. He sat in their houses he ate with publicans and sinners. You know publicans are? Tax collectors. You say, there's, there's where I draw the line. Not Jesus. Those guys were thieves, and Jesus sat down with them. Did they need him? Yes, but so did the Pharisees. They just didn't realize it. The Pharisees thought they were something else. In fact, the Pharisees were messed up because Jesus sat with them but wouldn't sit with with them and fellowship with them, they're like, hey, some religious rabbi ought to be coming and sitting with me. He ought to be hanging out with me. And, and Jesus said, no, you are you're whited sepulchers. You're all clean on the outside, but you are, you're ravening wolves on the inside. You are full of dead men's bones. And you just won't admit it. So this, this whole thing is going on. Jesus is dwelling among us. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it. He was born like we were born. How remember your birthday? But you weren't there. Your mom was there, right? But he's born like we were born. He went through that process. He grew like we grew. The Bible says that he went through the stages of growth. He worked like we worked as a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He learned that from Joseph. He lived like we lived. He lived like we lived. The Bible says that he ate like they ate. He ate among them. He didn't tell... Martha, take that back to the kitchen. I deserve better food. No. He ate corn walking through the cornfield, figs. He ate like they ate. He got tired like we get tired. That one kind of blows my mind. The God of the universe in human flesh, so tired he sleeps in the back of a boat. Do Do you remember what he told his disciples? um, foxes have dens, birds have nests, son of man doesn't even have a pillow to lay his head down. Do you know what that tells me? That our Jesus, God in the flesh, literally suffered want, suffered lack like us. If I had to raise a hand, there would be folks in here, you'd have some things that you, you sense in your life you need. Do you know that Jesus went through that? Peter, go down to the Go down to the seashore. Catch a fish. Open up the fish's mouth. Inside of there is going to be your, your tax payment. Did he have needs? Did he have bills? We don't think about that all the time, but he did. He dwelt among us. He lived our life. Where does this all go? Uh, friends, if, if, if I'm in a hopeless situation and, and I'm living here, maybe 70 years, maybe less, and, and I don't know how it's going to go after I die. I don't have a certainty of where I'm going to spend eternity, but the Bible says that God came to meet that need. He came in the flesh. He came down, made like us, and lived among us, did what we did so that he could bring us to himself. Man, that's incredible hope. That's an incredible thing. What a God. And he did that for you. He didn't just do it for select people. He did it for you. He did it for you. John said this, the disciple John, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. These guys literally got to walk with Jesus. And it wasn't just for them. His coming was for you in 2023. Say, he doesn't care about me. He came for you. Would you like to go through being born, growing up again? Any of you? Any takers here? Jesus took that, took that on willingly. We have some kids that are, they, they want to restart. But you know, he, he did that willingly for us. And he walked among us. It's just three years at the end of his life, it was his public ministry. We don't know a lot about from one or 2, 12, right in there to, to the age of 30. He's just living life. The Bible tells us about that. The Bible tells us that he, in that time, was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. So he went through the ups, the downs, the, the good days, the bad days, but the Bible says in every point that you and I are tempted in, in every common point that you and I are tempted he was tempted in the same way, and we, he did not sin. The greatest, if you go to Matthew chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but if you read chapter nine, 4, he was literally tempted by Satan in person. Can you imagine that? It's one thing, boys and girls, to have your brother or sister tempt you to do something wrong, disobey mom and dad, and by the way, if they do, you should say, no, I'm going to obey, right? One more time, right? Yeah. There we go. That's reality. That's reality. But can you imagine having Satan himself come and tempt you? Hey, I'll I'll give you everything in the world if you fall down and worship me. What did Jesus do? Time after time after time, he said, it is written. And he would declare the Bible to Satan, and he would resist temptation. A good key for you and me. Declare the word, submit to the Lord, and resist temptation. So over and over, he demonstrated that he knew what it was to walk with us. Uh, have you ever heard this statement, don't judge a man until, help me out, until you walk a mile in his shoes. Do you know Jesus came and walked more than a mile in our shoes? He lived 33, uh, 33 years. Infinite God, existing outside of time, came, submitted himself to time, lives 33 years, He knows exactly what you're facing. Well, you don't know my temptations. You don't know my bent. You don't know my addictions. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, and he offers to you deliverance. I want to give us another thought. Jesus was made like us. He lived among us. He dwelt there. He pitched his tent with us. But lastly, I want us to realize Jesus gave his life for us. Now, I know every single one of you know that fact you know that historical detail that jesus gave his life for you he did that at Golgotha earlier this year i was able to to stand with my wife and see galgotha i got to go down into the empty tomb where jesus is not it is empty and the sign is on the door he is risen he is risen indeed what really struck me as i went down there is to realize that if he is risen, as the Bible says, and I believe it with all my heart, then the problems and the issues that I face in life, the sin, the things that, that, um, that, that seem to, to get the best of me, all those things are non-issues in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the answer. Jesus is our hope. The Bible says a little bit later on in John chapter number 1 that After he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, it says this. He was coming and starting his earthly ministry. I mentioned this verse many times throughout this season. He was starting his earthly ministry, and and he comes to meet up with John the Baptist. Do you remember John the Baptist? He comes to meet up with John the Baptist. He wanted to be baptized by him to fulfill all righteousness. And John the Baptist looks out, of the crowd, he's, um, that has gathered there, and he, and he says, Hey, behold, I want you to look this way. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Amen. We should not miss that. We celebrate Christmas time and coming out as a baby, but that's the reason he came. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. The only approved sacrifice for our sin." The only approved sacrifice. Now I know some people try to buy their way with God. You can't can't buy off God. You cannot bribe God. He will not be bribed. You can't attend enough services. You cannot do enough good deeds to atone for your sinful condition before a holy God. You can't. You can try, and many people do. And they still are left with this uncertainty, this hopelessness. Where do I spend eternity after I die? By the way, your self-effort hasn't gotten you out out of addictions and out of struggles with sin. There are things that no one else knows about in your life. But you. You're like, man, I wish I could get beyond this. Why do I keep doing this? It's Jesus that came. It's Jesus that came and he's the only approved sacrifice before a holy God for your sin and for mine. Do you know what the Bible says there? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away. Wait a minute. Maybe paid half of the sins of the world. Maybe paid the sins for a select few. Maybe paid for the sins of those that keep up with confession. Or those that are dunked in a baptismal pool. No, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I think about the sin of the world. That's an epic amount of sin. I, I wonder if some statistics, you know, so statistic guys could come up with, with a little bit of, you know, like how many sins is it possible for a person to commit in their lifetime? Et cetera. It, it, it's an infinite number. When you think about the sin of the whole world, we heard a little bit ago, why did God say, uh, why did Jesus say on the cross, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? In that moment, the sin on his shoulders that he was bearing your sin in mind, past, present, and future, was such an ugly thing that God says, the lights in the world are going to go out. He turned off the sun for a space of three hours. It was dark. And God the Father turned his back on God the Son. Well, all of his wrath was poured out on Jesus. He became the object of God's wrath against your sin in that moment. He took your hell for you. He took your death for you. The Bible says he yielded up the ghost. He gave up his life. He wasn't killed. He gave up his life. Why? For you. For you. It's huh. an epic amount of hope that someone would do that. When I mean, we, get, we get stingy I paid the tip last time. We go back and forth it's my turn to pay. Jesus didn't do that. He went and died for you, unconditionally He died for you. Well, wait a minute. Uh, if they love me, I'll die for them. No, he, in that while we were yet sinners, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What love is this? It's, it's, it's indescribable what he has done for you and I. So he came and gave his life for us. He died for every one of our sins, our unbelief, the things that are abominable before God are, are, wrong, are wrong thoughts, are deception. And the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse number 8, it says, he said that all liars are accountable to God for their sin, and even all of our lives. Yes, white lies, you can, you can, you can try to rate lies, but before God, it's all lies, right? Come on now. Do you realize that we have a rating scale for all the sins in the world, so we can one-up each other? And God just looks down at it and says, listen, it's all sin to me. You did that sin, you did that sin, it's all a grievance to me. Your pride, your arrogance, your unbelief, all of it, it's all sin to me. And I went to the cross and died for it. You don't have to earn it. He went to the cross and died for it. Now, why is, why is there not more people that are walking around through this life with hope? Because if it comes down to this, have you received that? Have you received it? Jesus went to the cross. He came down. He was made like us so that we could be made like him. The Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He made it so that transaction could be made. And he calls you to accept him as your personal savior. He calls you from your hopelessness to find a hope in him. What's hope in him? A certainty that every single one of my sins is forgiven. Did we catch that? A certainty that every single one of my sins is forgiven. Not part of them, but every single one of my sins, past, present, future, every single one of my sins is forgiven and that I can now confidently expect that I will dwell in his presence forever and ever after I die. That is a hopeful feeling. Many people, where am I going to spend eternity? They may not speak it to one another. Where am I going to go after I die? Friends, it won't be based on how good of a person you are. It's only going to be based on whether you receive the hope that Jesus Christ offers to you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to say John 3.16, but I want to draw us back to Pearl Harbor. We We just celebrated Pearl Harbor Day, or remembered, I should say, Pearl Harbor Day. It was a dark time in American history, wasn't it? I just learned this story. How many of you have been to Carolyn Park here in Dayton. The bell tower, you've seen the, the bells. How many of you heard those bells? Um, did you realize that the first time those bells played was on Christmas Eve, 1941. Christmas Eve. They played those bells and wouldn't you like to know what song was played on those bells on Christmas Eve? Does anyone know? Where are the Dayton history buffs? Come on, stand up. Anyone know? The song was, Oh Come, All Ye Faithful. It was a dark time in American history, and it was believed that Daytonians needed some hope, some comfort. And so it was chosen on Christmas Eve that these bells would play. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him. Born the King of angels. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him. him. Christ the Lord. Rang from those bells a message of hope. Behold Him. You know, I'd like to ring a bell today, right where you are. Behold Him. He's your hope. One author said it well, that there are no hopeless situations, just those who have become hopeless in them. Life is not hopeless. We become hopeless in it. And when we begin to suffer the consequences of our sin, and it begins to drag on longer and longer and we don't see any freedom from it, and we don't know we're going to spend eternity, there's a hopelessness there. But like that song says, behold Him. Christ is our hope. Our hope. And I invite you to look to Him, who is your hope. Maybe you've already trusted Him as your Savior. Look to Him. He's your hope. You've gotten focused on the problems in your life, the burdens in your life. Do You realize He's your hope. He's your hope for Monday. I get focused on burdens. You know, I need to be reminded Christ is my hope. He's my confident expectation. He's where I need to focus my attention. Maybe you haven't received Jesus Christ this morning. I invite you to make this the day that you receive Jesus Christ as the one who alone can give you hope. Stop running. I mean that. Stop running. God is pursuing you. He's seeking after your heart. He wants you. Submit to him. It'll be the best decision you ever make. I promise you that. You will, you will at some point along the line say, why did I wait so long? Christ is our hope. And he's come to give you hope. And that's our message this morning. And I'm grateful that you gathered. But right now, What I'd like to do is give you an opportunity to reset your focus on Him who is our hope and invite you to receive Him as your Savior. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Encourage everyone just to take a private moment between you and God. Right now, I wonder how many would say, Pastor, I know with certainty. I know with certainty and I can remember back to a day, a time in my life where I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I know when I die, I know that I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I know that with certainty. And you say, Pastor, here's my hand. I raise it, acknowledging when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. How many of you would say, that's my testimony today? I know with certainty I'm saved. I've received Jesus Christ as my savior. Put your hand up and hold it high. Amen. How many of you would say, Pastor, I cannot raise my hand to that. I do not know for certain that when I die, I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I don't know that. I, it's even hard for me to admit that. I mean, to say, Pastor, I don't know that for certain, but I'm concerned about that. And here's my hand, no one's looking around like this just to be a private moment between everyone if you'd honor me in that moment but here's my hand i don't know this for sure and i am concerned about that you can put your hands back down i'm going to pray for you but i'd like to invite you i'd like to invite you to trust jesus christ as your savior some some people say well there must be something i i need to do the bible says in john 3:16, for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It comes down to you're gonna continue to believe in yourself or are you gonna believe in him? Believe in the one who came to be your hope. and I'd invite you to call out to him and to trust him. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them, to them, to you, gave he the power to become the sons of God. The Bible also says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does it mean to call? To simply cry out to him, to pray to him, to ask him to be your savior, to believe in him in that way. Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this, my prayer can't save you, but if you from your heart would pray, um, pray and, and speak to God, to call out to him, he will save you. Perhaps, this prayer could help you. You might pray it like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe that you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess to you that I I am a sinner. And I ask you to be my personal savior right now. I place 100% of my trust in you to come into my life, to give me new life, and to take me to heaven someday. I accept your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping this promise. And answering my prayer. Still with our heads bowed, is there someone who'd say, Pastor, today, I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? When you prayed that, I prayed. I prayed from my heart. I acknowledged I was a sinner to God, and I accepted what Jesus Christ did for me. I believe in Him and Him alone as the only answer for my sin. Pastor, I've received Jesus Christ. Anyone like that this morning that say, that's my testimony. You just put your hand up and put it back down again. I'd love to rejoice with you in that way. I want to encourage you. If you're still struggling with that decision, the invitation is always open here at Grace Baptist Church, and we want to answer whatever questions are standing in your way, whatever's hindering no most of all we're praying for you we're asking that the lord would continue this work in your life i'm going to say pastor there's some things in my life as a believer i uh i've grown hopeless about but i've just been reminded again this morning that i need to trust in him i need to put my focus back in him You say that's my testimony this morning with an upraised hand amen would you stand for a moment just find a quiet prayer we're going to just let the piano play for just a moment just a just a moment to say thank you lord for coming I'm refocusing my attention on you. Just take this moment, quiet between you and the Lord, and pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.